Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, it's good to see all of you here today. My name is Andy Flink, and I'm on staff here at the church. I hope that this week has been good for you. I know Pastor Chris already uh, wished you a happy Labor Day weekend, but I hope you have a great day today and tomorrow. And uh, this week for me was, was pretty good, although there was, was one particular moment that was a little funny, also a little hard. On Tuesday night, we, we have this family bedtime routine that we have for all of our children. We ask them a series of questions. And uh, on Tuesday night, I just kind of gave Hudson and Jack a hug and I had sent them down to bed. Becky was gonna tuck them in. And one of the questions that we ask them is how did you change the world with Jesus today? And so Becky was asking them that question and my seven-year-old Jack, he really didn't have an answer and that's okay, you don't always have an answer. And so Becky was kind of prompting him like, well, you know, honey, were you, were you kind and encouraging to anybody uh, today? I mean, that's a way that you can change the world with Jesus and he thought about it, he couldn't really think of anything. So Becky was ready to move on to the next thing. He goes, oh wait, I thought of something. Tonight during the baptism class, I was kind and encouraging because Daddy was pretty boring, but I didn't walk out of the class. <laughs> so, <clears throat> if, you, if you could just all extend me that same courtesy of being kind and encouraging. Chris, you can sit down back. I need, thank you. So, sorry. Yeah. But speaking of the baptism class, uh, on, in two weeks on, at 5 o'clock, September 15th, 5 o'clock, we're going to have a baptism celebration in this room. There'll be 10 to 15 people who are getting baptized. I've gotten a chance to talk with some of them already, and it's exciting to hear their, hear their story. And so all of you as their church family are welcome to come. I mean, I'm particularly excited that two of my children are gonna be baptized. It's gonna be fun for us. But after the baptism celebration, we're gonna have a dinner, a cookout uh, in, out back. Uh, you don't have to bring anything. Um, there'll be a suggested donation kind of thing. But um, all you need to bring is like a, I guess not, not to eat, but just a, a chair or something like that. We'll set up outside, weather permitting, and I think it'll be a lot of fun. So make plans to attend two weeks from now, September 15th at five o'clock, our baptism celebration. All right, having gotten that announcement out of the way, I wanna explain why this couch is here. We don't always have, if you're new, we don't always have a couch up here. Uh, this couch, to me, represents, I, I've thought a lot about this, I think a couch in an American living room represents laziness. <laughs> Very few productive things happen on the couch. You know, this weekend, for a lot of people, this is the kind of the unofficial beginning of the football season. You know, yeah, some people are <clears throat> Andrew Luck wasn't quite that excited, but everybody else is ex really excited about football. And... Uh, so I was just thinking, you know, anytime there's football on TV, there's a lot of people here. They're couch potatoes. We're watching the game, and, you know, we say things like at the end of the game, we won, or we lost, we did it. We didn't do anything. <laughs> we just sat here, right? We maybe ate something. We're just waiting around. And, but that's what it means to be a couch potato. Uh, have you ever sat on a couch or, I don't know, laid on a couch? I'm, 
it's each service, I'm more comfortable. Just, <laughs> you've been on a couch and you're just like, I don't want to do anything else all day. I'm just going to stay here. And I think that during this sermon, what I want this couch to represent is a sense of passivity. I don't want to get off the couch now. <laughs> this couch is comfortable. But in the Christian life, I think we all recognize just intuitively that God has a lot bigger plan for our lives than for us to just lay around on the couch the whole time. This couch represents sitting on the sidelines and God wants us to get into the game. But for whatever reason, like we know that, but for whatever reason we just like stay on the couch. Why is that? Well, as a pastor, I can say for whatever reason we just stay on the couch, but generally speaking in my conversations with people, there are two reasons that people stay on the couch. The first reason is they're just being rebellious, like disobedient. Like I know what God wants me to do. He wants me to get off the couch and do something, but I don't wanna do it. We'll talk about him a little bit more in a moment, but people in that category might be represented by the life of Jonah. He knew what God wanted him to do, he knew what God wanted him to say, but he just didn't want to do it, he was rebellious. On the other hand, there are people who are on the couch for a different reason. They're on the couch because they don't know what they're supposed to do. Or at least they don't know with enough detail that they feel comfortable getting off the couch. Like, oh, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I'll just stay here and wait. Maybe God will just make it even clearer, and then, then I'll get up. Or, or I have no idea whatsoever. I, I'm just stuck. I'm paralyzed with fear because I don't want to mess up God's will. And if, if you're in that category, I just want you to know, I, I'm with you. I can relate to how you feel. I have felt that way. I sometimes still feel that way. I grew up in the church world, and even at a young age, I, I have these very clear memories of just feeling like, what is God's will for my life? What is it that God wants me to do? Who is it that God wants me to be? Am I doing the right thing right now or should I be doing something else? Is there, is there something else, someone else I'm supposed to be? What, what if I'm messing up God's plan for my life? What if he wants me to be doing something different? I don't know about you, but growing up, I, I, again, this is absolutely sincere, I, I just wish that there was a way of knowing what God's will was for my life that was as clear for me as it was for the Israelites who after the Exodus were traveling from Egypt to the promised land, to the land of Canaan. And God said, I'll make my will clear to you. I'm gonna reveal myself to you. Like we know that God is the God of the whole universe. He's everywhere, but he told the Israelites, I'm gonna make my specific presence known to you with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So wherever the cloud goes, you follow. It goes that way, you go that way. It stops there for three days, you stop there for three days. When it gets going and goes that way, then you get up and get going and go that way. And I just thought, wouldn't that be great if I had a pillar like that just showing me what to do? If the cloud was just moving around. Like, God, where am I supposed to go to college? And the pillar just started moving towards Bloomington. Or the cloud was moving towards West Lafayette. Or if I was really lucky towards Upland, I'd go to Taylor. I wanted to know. Or who am I supposed to date, God? Wasn't really all that great with the girls, so how about a pillar of fire over our house? That would be a little, like, break the tension. Like, I don't know, but it's, apparently God wants us together. It's right there. You can see it. Like, like, that would be great. Wouldn't it be great if you 
knew always what you were supposed to do and who you were supposed to be, what you were supposed to say. The cloud was just there. But of course, that's not how it works. In our world today, God is still capable of doing that sort of thing. He could still give us that kind of cloud. But he doesn't do it very often in the pages of Scripture. He doesn't seem to do it very often just like in our world around us. And so because we don't know, we end up sitting on the couch because we feel a little bit paralyzed. Now, of course, just because we don't know what to do in every situation doesn't mean that God hasn't made his will known to us in at least some situations. Like, God's word is his will revealed to us. Like, God never changes, and so we can be confident that God will never lead us to violate some command or principle that's in this book. That's just not gonna happen. It will never be God's will for you to commit adultery. You don't even have to pray about it. You just know. You don't even have to pray about, like, if there's a widow or an orphan who needs your help, Like, God already told you. This is his will. These are things that were true because God's character never changes. These were things that were true thousands of years ago and they're still true today. We just need to do what God has asked us because he's already revealed his will to us. I mean, we don't don't wanna be Jonah, but on the other hand, we can't sit here and say, like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, God, God has shown us. But of course, there's a lot of really important decisions and situations that we face in our lives where the Bible doesn't give us all of the details we might feel like we want or need. For instance, the Bible might say, you should only marry a Christian, don't be unequally yoked, but I mean, it doesn't have the girl's name in the Bible for me. That would have been useful. I guess Rebecca is in the Bible, I could have looked for that, but I mean, I, like, <laughs> it's not always in there, or like, God's telling us not to be lazy and that we should work and get a job, but it doesn't say like the name of the company or the church or the place that I should work. And that's a pretty important detail. I wanna know what God's will is, so what am I supposed to do when it doesn't clearly tell me in the pages of scripture and I don't have a pillar of fire to tell me where to be and what to do? Well, in those moments where I'm looking for this like one specific thing that I'm supposed to do in this one specific place and I'm just like, I hope I find it. One of the things that's helpful, I think, to remember is I don't always think that God's will is just this one thing in this one place. I think it's actually God is leading us on a path and his will is leading us in a direction. And so when we commit to walk on the path, we might not know the final destination, but he's showing us the direction we should travel. In the early church, in the book of Acts, followers of Jesus were referred to as followers of the way. And I think that that's a helpful insight for us. God's will, in a sense, is a verb. We are on the way following Jesus. Where he leads, we will follow. His will is a path that we follow more than a destination where we end up. Now, I recognize that focusing on God's will as the path instead of God's will as the destination might make some of you a little bit uncomfortable because you're concerned about the idea that if God's will is a path more than a destination, then there might be more than one right answer in terms of what God's will is for my life, in terms of how I'm gonna get to where I'm supposed to be. But let me give you an example of why I think God's will works this way. For instance, I used to lead our college age and just out of college age ministry for young adults. It was called atmosphere. And a big question in atmosphere, it was a big question for me when I was in that age group is, who am I going to marry? Is it God's will for me 
to get married. And I remember on many occasions talking with those in atmosphere, and I would say, all right, you're asking these questions. That's good. You want to obey God. But do you think that, you know, there's roughly just under 7 billion people on the planet. Do you think that there's only one person in the, the whole world that it's God's will for you to marry? Right? Just, just one person in the whole planet? Let's say that you're supposed to marry a godly woman named Jenny, and you're supposed to meet her when you go to college at Butler. But for whatever reason, you miss the signals that you were supposed to go to Butler, and instead you go to Indiana State, and you meet a nice Christian girl named Julie, and you marry her. Do you think all of heaven and the angels and God are just like pulling their hair out? And I like to think that in heaven, no one is bald. Do you think they're like, no! We had everything mapped out 50, 60 years for this guy, and it was with Jenny, and now he's with Julie, and oh, plan B for this guy. I don't know how we're going to get around this. No. I think God is able to work these things out. I think there could be more than one person that God has in mind for you. God's will is a verb. It is a path for us to follow. He has more than one way to get us to where he wants us to go. I think a good example of this is found in the life of Abraham when God comes to him in Genesis chapter 12 and says, go to the land, I will show you. God doesn't say to Abraham, here's the address. Show up there, three months, I'll give you more information. No, he says, here's a destination. Here's a general, not here's a destination, here's a general direction, head that way. Now, when God spoke to Abraham that way, I, I want to be clear, I think that's the way he mostly speaks to us, but I want to be clear, God could have done it differently. He could have spoken to Abraham the way he spoke to Jonah. Like he says, go to Nineveh and do this. But Jonah is sitting on the couch and God's will is very clear for him, but he just doesn't like it. We, we have reason to believe just from reading the book of Jonah that his life as the prophet of Israel was a pretty sweet gig. He had a lot of respect and a fair amount of financial means. And he understood God wanted him to go in that direction and do this particular thing. But he decided he'd rather take his couch over there in the opposite direction and do some other thing because that would be more comfortable. But God introduced Jonah to his friend the whale and got Jonah back on track. So God was very clear. Jonah was just very rebellious. And God can speak to you and me in that way. And there have been a couple of times in my life where I felt like God told me exactly what I was supposed to do. And I knew that if I had done something differently, it actually would have been a sin. But that is generally not how God reveals himself to us. Usually the way God reveals himself to us is not go to Nineveh and here's what to say. Generally it's like he spoke to Abraham and said, go to the land I will show you. I promise if you'll head in that direction, I'll be with you. And Abraham could have sat on the couch and said, I don't want just a compass and a direction. I would like GPS coordinates. I would like turn-by-turn -turn navigation. God, I don't know if you know this, but I have a wife named Sarah, and she's going to want to know why we have to sell all of our stuff. Abraham was super wealthy. He was one of the elite men of Ur. He was held in great esteem in his city. Like, she's going to want to know, why are we doing this? And where are we going? And as we're traveling, like, are we there yet? And all, in every one of those circumstances, Abraham's going to have to say, I don't know. And so he could have kind of held his breath and said, 
I'm not leaving until you give me more information. I want more clarity. And if Abraham had done that, I'm guessing that God might have kind of raised the temperature in Abraham's life the way he did in Jonah's life until Abraham got to where he was supposed to go. Or maybe God would have made another way with some other person. But Abraham, if he didn't show faith and get up off the couch and head in the direction God showed him, Abraham would have missed out on the way God was going to shape him as he stepped into the unknown. As Abraham walked along the path God had in mind for him, he became a different kind of person. He became the kind of person God could use for his glory. I'm sure that Abraham would have liked to have gotten to the promised land as quickly as possible. But God took him on what we might call some holy detours. And those delays, they were significant, they were important because they were part of his spiritual growth process. And the same is true for you and for me. God is working in our lives in ways that we can't always see to shape us to become the kind of people that he can use. If we view God's will as just only the destination and that's all that counts, then the goal is to get to that destination as fast as we possibly can so that we can get ready for whatever the next thing is and the next destination. But if God's will is a path, then God has been working in our lives every step of the way. And we have to trust God even if we feel like we're kind of stuck in traffic in the slow lane. Even when we're in the midst of a kind of a holy detour or in Abraham's case, if we're just being blunt about his story, some not so holy accidents, we have to trust that God is making a way. But believing that sort of thing, that takes faith. Because it takes enough faith to get up off the couch and say, okay, I'll go to the land you will show me. But it really takes faith when you're kind of in the in-between place and you're kind of looking around and I, I'm not hearing the voice of God right now and I don't see, this surely isn't where I'm called to be. Should I keep walking? Because the couch is calling. It'd be easy to go back. It's hard to trust God when life doesn't make sense. One of the primary questions in the Christian life in those moments when God hasn't been perfectly clear with us what we're supposed to do, in those seasons when God doesn't say go to Nineveh, when, in those seasons when God says, I want you to go to a land I will show you, the question is, will we trust him? Will we journey in to that place that has no clarity? Will we walk into the darkness and trust that he will show us enough to light our path? Will we have enough faith to trust God and get up and going? We'll begin walking on a path in a direction that God showed us, even if we don't know what the exact destination is. That's a hard thing. It's a hard thing for all of us. Recently, a friend of mine has been on a journey like this, and I wanna give her a chance to share some of her story with you. Will you please welcome my friend, Mary Nolan? Kleenex in anticipation. Sorry about that. First service, I didn't have Kleenexes when I need it, so we're prepared this time. <sighs> there are a lot of things on my heart to share today. I first want to express my gratitude to all of you who have um, prayed for me and my family in our time of loss. You've not only prayed, you've given gifts and cards and meals and um, extra volunteer hours in Joyland. So I just wanna thank you so much for that. Some of you even helped clean my house 
and brought food to stock my freezer and my pantry uh, so my daughters could have something to eat even when I wasn't cooking. And I just want to say it is good to have a good church family during the good times, but it is vital to have a good church family during the difficult times. On May 31st, due to surgical complications, my younger brother David passed from this earth to his heavenly home. May 31st was a devastating day for us, but it was the day Dave got to meet Jesus face to face. My dad has said that if Dave would have asked him for his permission to go to heaven so soon, he would have said, no, you do not have our permission to leave us yet, but it was not up to us. Dave was three years younger than me, and he is in all of my childhood memories. As kids, Dave and I would eat breakfast together, sitting at the stools at our kitchen island. Each morning, Mom would pray for us before we went to school. We'd walk out to the bus together with our little backpacks. Dave and I shared a bedroom together um, until I was in fifth grade. Dave was always there, always sitting next to me at the dinner table, sitting beside me in the car, on the living room couch, sitting next to me in church. He was always there, and I didn't know life without Dave. As we became young adults, we grew even closer. Our friend group began overlapping, but also Dave's faith was growing exponentially. And for those of you who had a chance to know him at that time, he was about 22 at the time, he, um, he really did have this new zeal and new excitement for knowing God. And I, I just loved seeing that in him. I would go with him to worship services and prayer services, and I would see him put his hands on people's shoulders and just pray for them and speak God's heart over them. Because what you might know, not know about Dave is that he was really eager to hear from God. He wanted to hear God's voice every single day, whether it was through the Bible, through a vision, through a dream, through the promptings of his heart. He wanted to hear from God, and he wanted to share that with other people. And so Dave would do this for me sometimes too. Sometimes he would put his hand on my shoulders and he would pray that God would give me eyes to see the supernatural things he wanted to do in and through my life. And I remember when I built my house, Dave was a little uh, concerned about me living there by myself at first. And so he went over there one night when I wasn't home and he prayed through my house that he prayed that God would protect me and watch over me while I lived there. And I remember one night he called me, he was on his way home from somewhere, and he said, Mary, God just spoke to me about you. He's given me a message for you, so I want you to write it down. So I was like, all right, Dave. So I wrote it all down, everything he said, just different ways that God was affirming uh, my relationship with God and just the things that he had for me. And I'm so thankful I have those words to look back on. I've always dreaded the day that I would lose my grandparents or even my parents but I never anticipated that I would have to live life without my little brother. We found a handwritten note that Dave had kept in one of his books. He had written out a list of declarations from the Bible in it. Mom made copies, for, um, copies of this for each of us, and I framed it and put it in my bedroom. So each morning I see in Dave's handwritings the different declaration. I declare I will do the Father's will every day. I declare that God's strength is increasing in my life every day. I declare that my love for God and my love for others will increase every day. These are just a few. 
And even as strong as our faith is, that David is in the presence of God in heaven now, and that we will be reunited with him one day, it is still hard to wake up to the reality every day that he's not here. I know many of you who have faced loss in your life know what I mean. It is hard to get up and function each day when, you're, when our family is so incomplete without Dave. This morning when I walked in, I saw Andy had put the couch up here and he said, hey Mary, I got this couch for the illustration and he and I hadn't talked yet about, I was gonna share a little bit about me laying on the couch because that's how I grieve. Some of people like to just do a bunch of stuff, but not me. Like when I'm grieving, when I'm sad, I am paralyzed. I cannot move. And so I've spent a lot of time on my couch just listening to worship music or listening to sermons with my dog. And you know what? Sometimes when you are on the couch, it's not because you're lazy or passive. Sometimes you are on the couch because you are so brokenhearted that you can't move. But God has, has told me over and over that he has a purpose for me beyond the couch as he does for all of you. Our church staff was gracious to give me a sabbatical this summer so I could spend more time to grieve and be with my family. I did a Bible study on Job and that was helpful in reminding me that God is good at being God. My family also worked together to keep reminding each other of, the hope, of our hope in Jesus and it, how he's given us the promise of eternal life. I was clinging to my faith in Jesus but it was still hard to function each day. And I would tell my friends, I'm just taking it one day at a time. Maybe Jesus will come back tomorrow. We don't know. He may come back tomorrow or next week or by the end of the summer. I can't handle the thought of thinking about living without Dave for 40 or 50 years, but I can do one day. Maybe Jesus will come back tomorrow. But here we are. Summer's over. Jesus hasn't come back yet. And because of our faith in Jesus, we are citizens of heaven, but we still have to live here on earth. And believe me, I have thought about how I can live the rest of my life on my couch. I, really, I was thinking, okay, how can I pay my bills but I still live on my couch with my dog? But God has told me, no, that's not what he has for me. He has a purpose beyond the couch. One evening this summer, I was feeling like I needed someone to talk to, so I drove to my friend Sarah Miller's house. And I told First Service, if you ever need someone to talk to, you can also drive to Sarah Miller's house. <laughs> Sarah and I were talking about how thankful we were that God had provided Jill Bardonner to help um, serve this summer at our church with our children's ministry. You see, almost two years ago, or over two years ago, um, Jill was, I was just getting to know Jill, and I felt the Lord prompt me, like, you need to ask Jill to be a leader for this ministry. And so I didn't really know her yet, but I, I felt very clear that it was God prompting me to ask her this. And so I started talking to her and she said, yes, she would. And so she became our preschool coordinator for the 11 o'clock service. 
And so over the last two years, we have served together, and I, I just so enjoy her and so appreciate the way she leads with children and leads volunteers that earlier this spring, we were considering to hire someone as a preschool coordinator, and I advocated, hey, she is exactly who we need. And so in April, she was hired part-time on staff to be our preschool coordinator and for our nursery ministry, too. And so Sarah and I were talking about, wow, isn't it awesome that... Uh, Jill is here this summer so that while you're grieving, she could handle VBS and she could handle Sunday morning stuff. And um, she was just doing so much so that I didn't have to worry about those things. And she said, you know, God knew the exact timing when you and the church family would need Jill. And he provided her for that. And I said, yeah. But if God knew my brother was going to die, then why didn't he stop it? There is no easy answer to this question, just as there are no easy answers to the things that you've been through in your life. I still believe that God hears our prayers and responds to our prayers. My family and I prayed for David's open heart surgery to go smoothly and for his heart condition to be healed. Many of you here at church were praying for Dave's surgery. People from Dave and Stephanie's church were praying for his surgery. Pastor McWan and Roshan woke up at 4 a.m. and were fasting and praying and had people in India praying for Dave's surgery. My mom, my sister-in-law Stephanie and I went into the prayer chapel at the hospital and we prayed the entire time Dave was in surgery. And so I don't know, I don't think I'll ever know exactly what to do with that. (sighs) Healing didn't happen the way we wanted it to, but healing has happened because Dave is healed and whole in heaven. My mom has said that she has come to the conclusion that God said no to Dave being healed on earth. And last weekend I was at the women's retreat and we heard Beth Moore say that anytime God says no, no, she said, by the time God says no to his pleading child, there is always a greater glory at stake. And I believe that to be true because I know that God is a good father and he desires to give good gifts to his children. When he sees his children hurting, he is hurting for us. God cares about us, and he is a good father. And so by the time he says no to his pleading child, there is always a greater glory at stake. And we won't know what that is, but when we get to heaven, we will see inside the mysteries. We will see the full picture. We will see everything clearly and we will worship God for his sovereignty and love. And as it says in Hebrews, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls, amen? Beth Moore also said, and I recorded it, thank you, so I do remember it. I I recorded it, thank God I recorded it. Um, Beth Moore also said, (sighs) better get to it though. She also said, There is no greater test, and can you pass it, and can I pass it, 
then when we have a huge opportunity to be offended at God because maybe he didn't answer the prayer we wanted to, we wanted him to, when we have a huge opportunity to be offended at God and instead we decide to trust and we take him at his word, Romans 8, 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the greater glory that will be revealed to us. And yet, this doesn't take the pain away. It doesn't make me miss Dave any less. But it does remind me that I can't spend the rest of my days on the couch, and neither can you. As many of you know, my brother David was the co-founder and associate director of the Hope Center Indy. The Hope Center is an aftercare facility for women coming out of human trafficking. Dave knew that God had called him to help my dad do ministry. I remember dad telling us, Dave telling us, that he, one night he was praying and he went into my parents' room and he said, Dad, God has just told me to help you do ministry. And so he uh, went to Bible college. He was taking classes at a supernatural ministry school. And at the beginning of 2016, he and dad began working together to start the Hope Center. David's faith propelled dad to make an offer on the building that's now there. And David served the Hope Center faithfully and courageously for three and a half years. And when Dave passed, he not only left a void in our hearts and in our family, but his presence and leadership are greatly missed at the Hope Center. In June, my dad, Hubert Nolan, who is, some of you guys might know him, who is the executive director at the Hope Center, asked me if I would consider coming to work there with him as the new associate director. He told me that this is God's ministry and I had to be sure that it was God who was calling me to do it. As you can imagine, this question came with a lot of emotions. And for the first several weeks, I was way too brokenhearted and too deep in my sorrow to be able to think straight, let alone make a decision like this. But as I have sought God for direction of whether he wants me to work at the Hope Center, he has confirmed it to me that this is what he wants me to do. He has gently showed me the ways he has prepared me for this new role. The women who come to be residents at the Hope Center are coming from the trauma of being trafficked, but almost all of them also are coming from the trauma of living through abuse and abandonment in their childhoods. In 2011, God called me to be a foster parent. Part of that was I was reading God's word. I'd always had a heart for children, but I was reading God's word and reading about how he calls us to minister to widows and orphans. And I just knew that day I was actually fasting. And I knew that God was speaking to me to say that he wanted me to be a foster parent. And so at that time, I began researching trauma and its effects on the brain and how we can help people heal and recover from it. So, since then, I have been to four conferences on this topic, I have read dozens of books, I've listened to hundreds of podcast episodes, and have met several foster parents who have ministered to children from difficult places. 
And in January 2016, Gabby and Anna moved in with me, and I became their foster mom. They were in eighth grade at the time, and soon we decided that they should live with me permanently. For almost four years, I have walked with them through the ups and downs of them overcoming their own adverse childhood experiences. And I feel like it's fitting here to say the quote that you see sometimes on t-shirts, there ain't no hood like motherhood. (laughs) But seriously, as a mom, for those of you who are parents, as a mom, your heart feels the pain that your children feel. And so for the last four years, I have felt my girls' pain And nothing makes me prouder than when I see one of them overcome a painful obstacle from their past. And now I am passionate about helping others do the same. About three weeks ago, I felt the Lord tell me it was time. It was time for me to to make this decision and start this transition that for me to delay this any longer would be disobedience. And I have so much to learn, but I like research and I like learning. And the Hope Center is God's ministry, and if he calls me to it, he will equip me for what he wants me to do. We each have seasons where God is calling us out of the boat into a new assignment. Now more than ever, I know that our days here on earth are limited, and I have to follow Jesus wherever he leads. This is incredibly bittersweet for me. I want to obey the Lord in what he's asking me to do, but it is very difficult for me to let go of my role here on church staff. I have worked here on staff leading children's ministry and women's ministry for 10 years. And it's okay if you wanna say I don't look that old. (laughs) I can't say enough about how much I love working with children and how much I love teaching the Bible. Because of this, I'm going to continue teaching the third and fourth grade Bible lessons on Sunday mornings for the rest of the school year, as much as I can, even beyond that, um, as a volunteer. You guys are my church family. And I still plan to worship here and participate in my small group here. And honestly, I still really need you guys. I'm still going through hard things, and I still need your love and support. As far as the next steps are for Joyland, dun da da dun I get to announce that Pastor Andy is taking over the children's ministry for the next several months or however long in an interim role. Jill Bardonner will continue in her role as the coordinator for our preschool and nursery ministry. And as I said earlier, two years ago, I felt the Lord prompt me to ask Jill to be a leader for our preschool ministry. And she has the heart, the faith, the experience, the teaching ability, and the leadership skills for this ministry. We are so blessed that God brought her to us. She truly is the perfect person for this role, if I do say so myself, because I'm the one who chose her earlier this spring when we hired her. Jill has become one of my best friends, and we, we plan to continue meeting together weekly over this next year to encourage each other in our new roles. And of course, you guys know Pastor Andy. And in case you don't know him besides just what you see on stage, I want you to know that he is the real deal. Because we both grew up at this church, I've known Andy for over 20 years. And I look up to him for his integrity and honesty. Our church is so blessed to have his devotion and steadfastness in working here. 
And I've seen firsthand that he loves children, which is a good thing because he has five of them. (laughs) I've seen firsthand how he challenges children to follow Jesus even at their young age, and he shows them practical ways to do this. Because because I respect him so much, I know Joyland will be in good hands. To all of the people who have served with me in Joyland and in VBS and everything, I first want to say that this is not the end. I still want to teach the Bible to children here as much as I can. Secondly, I want to say that it has been such a joy to be partners in the gospel with all of you. In Philippians chapter one, Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It has been my prayer every week for the last 10 years that God would help me to be a loving and joyful leader. And I just wanna say that I have received so much love and joy from all of you too. And to all the children who are in Joyland now and who have been in the last 10 years, I wanna say that I love you guys very much. And I want you to know that it's all true. All the Bible stories we've learned, all the verses we memorized, all the promises we sing about, it's all true. And it will hold true through every season of your life. And I'll still be here on some Sunday mornings, so we'll still have lots of time together. And I want you all to know that you should be proud of your pastors here and how they have been so comforting to me as a church employee in my time of loss. They have given me extra time off and they have shared the load of my normal responsibilities. Pastor Paul, Pastor Chris, Pastor Jay, and everyone has been so gracious and supportive in helping me make this transition to the Hope Center. I wanna thank the elders. I wanna just thank the congregation for the opportunity that I've had to be able to serve here and lead, lead, lead here. Just want you to know that I told the staff this week that um, I got a lot invested here too, right? I was born here. I was born the same month the dome was built. My dad gave his life to build up this church for 33 years. So I want everybody to carry on. Our community needs this church. It's not like I was doing everything anyway, but our community (laughs) needs this church as a light. God has good plans here. This is God's church. And he moves people in and he moves people out. But this is God's church. And you guys are a special, special body of Christ. So, Chris, that's all I'm going to say. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvillerode.cc. God bless you.